You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Well, yeah, let me go ahead and just thank everybody for, for coming. I've seen some of y'all that have been here uh, every week that uh, I've been able to do this, and it's just, I want to thank Pastor Travis for the privilege. Um, I think I said this the first week, but I'll say it again. Uh, there's only a few ways God's allowed me to serve folks, and this is one of them. And so I do it humbly, and I, I try to make sure that um, I handle God's words properly. I, I, I try to not take advantage of it um, in any way, uh, and, and I don't take it lightly that um, you know someone like Pastor Travis opens the floor for, for somebody like me. So I just I appreciate you all. Y'all been a wonderful audience. Um, and, and yeah, I don't know. Like I guess I scared some folks away, and uh, no, I know I know the overcomers are not here tonight, but. Um, we'll certainly miss in. That, that's been really cool too, being able to see a couple of those guys over the past couple of weeks. So that, that's been fun. Um, so with that said, if you see the, the subject tonight is sort of our climax that um, we've been talking about knowing God through doubt and suffering. Um, and, and again, something that I'll rehearse for us that a lot of times doubt and suffering, we treat them as subjects that tend to push us away from God. Uh, things that we have to get through in order to know God. Well, if you remember what we talked about the first night, that knowing God, this interactional relationship with God, is something that God can use things to bring us to a closer knowledge of Him. In spite of the fact they may be difficult things, um, in spite of the fact they may be things that uh, we may be tempted to turn away from God, uh, they are ways that if we go through them, that we come to a deeper knowledge of God. Um, not just not just knowing things about not just having propositions in our head about God and having ideas about God which is important which is why you study theology which is why you come to church and study scripture we want to know things about God as much as any of you all want to know things about your spouse right but you all that have spouses know that knowledge about someone is no replacement for knowledge of that person of a relationship with that person and that's what we've been driving at of course last week we talked doubt is something that it makes us question our, our relationship with god it makes us uh wonder and, and and even worry about our relationship with god but if we go through those things if we if we trust god to go through those things um god is faithful and he brings us through those those things and and much in the same way that we talked about uh, antibodies work for our immune system we come through stronger. We, we come through with a stronger faith. Um, and then we're able to go through uh, even bigger issues, even bigger difficulties as life sends those things our way. So, so that word through, I hope, has been doing a lot of work for us over the past several weeks. That it's not just knowing God in spite of doubt and suffering, but that doubt and suffering could be something that brings us into a deeper relationship, into a deeper knowledgeable relationship that we can know God more. Um, now, Tonight, I'm, I'm sort of uh, procrastinating here because this is one of those topics that I've talked about uh, in terms of, uh, in, in, in intellectually, I've discussed this topic. Um, some of y'all were in my apologetics class last, when was that, last spring? Um, and we've, we've discussed these things from a more abstract uh, uh, position, vantage point, um, just as a problem that's kind of out there that folks have. Um, but I'll just, just to be candid with you, this is one of those things that has gone in recent months that has become uh, not just a, it's not just an intellectual thing for me anymore. Um, I've shared with you that over the past several months, um, I, for, for the most part of this past year, I've been dealing with cancer. And um, the amount of physical pain uh, was just, it, it's like nothing I've experienced before. Um, the amount, uh, the, the emotional pain, I'll even say the, the mental strain um, that you go through, a lot of that's just the, that's, that's some of the worst part. Um, and the spiritual difficulty in it all, um, I think, is a really important factor for us to consider. Um, but having gone through those things and God being faithful through all of those things um, has just been something where I've come on the other side of this thing knowing God more. And so it's just been wonderful how God's just aligned all of these, uh, all of these things in my life where I'm studying epistemology. Uh, the a theory of knowledge, what it means to know anything, what it means to know persons. Um, and then having had experienced this, uh, th this thing of, of tremendous suffering in my own life personally, uh, in a way that I've never, I've never experienced it before. 
Um, just those two things have collided in a way to where uh, another class that I'm taking, which is just it, it's advanced philosophy of religion. And, and really, it's, uh, I, I've been telling people it's, it's apologetics on steroids. <laughs> and so we didn't just cover the problem of evil. We dove deep into the problem of evil. I mean, I'm reading all this literature from, from atheists, from agnostics, from Christians of all different stripes. Um, I, I read a, a Muslim apologist talk about the problem of evil. That was very interesting. But I got to tell you, in all of the study on the problem of evil, um, I couldn't help but bring the personal aspect into it because, frankly, I think that's where the problem is. And I hope to touch on that tonight. So when we talk about the problem of evil, pain and suffering, I'm just going to kind of group those together and, and hope to clarify in just a bit. Um, when I talk about these issues, um, it is a problem and it's a problem for everybody. When we talk about what what evil is and how terrible it is. Uh, we kind of have to give an answer for it. Um, and, and despite the fact that a lot of Christian, a lot of times Christians are put in the hot seat for this topic. Um, yeah, I would love to argue that it's really a problem for everybody because it's evil. It's, it's pain. It's suffering. Um, no one is celebrating this. No one is happy about this. So, so it is a question that everyone has. Now, what I hope to explore just a little bit, this isn't so much an apologetics talk. Um, again, it's, it's a lot more about knowing God. How do we know God through these things? But I think in the apologetics, in, in the defense of Christianity regarding the problem of evil, I think we kind of get a, a clue as to how we can know God through suffering. Um, well, just uh, the long and the short of it is that a lot of folks tend to take the problem of evil as an excuse to not believe in God, to doubt his existence. Um, there was a man uh, about a, well, going on a century ago now, um, who had a very stunning career as an atheist uh, college professor. He was a literature professor. He, he dabbled in philosophy, um, but he was, he was fairly successful for someone of his age and rank, and, and he was moving his way up. But, but as an atheist, he, he kept studying, and, and at that point in time, it was, it was a pretty fashionable thing to be an atheist. It was kind of what all the in intellectual elites were doing at the time. And so he kind of just followed suit. Um, and he had his arguments, as any good professor should. He had his reasons why uh, he, he believed, or I should say, did not believe that God existed. Um, but then at some point in time, those, those reasons, those arguments they had against God began to fall apart. And he was very clear and candid in explaining how those things fell apart. Uh, he took a lot of those ideas and he, he congealed them down into a lot of writings. Of course, um, that atheist professor, that former atheist professor, ended up becoming one of the most prolific Christian thinkers in the 20th century. Um, and I'm actually quite a huge fan, a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. Uh, when he talks about the problem of pain, as, as he, he narrows it down to the problem of pain, um, he's very open and, and discussing that this was the primary thing that kept him an atheist for as long as he stayed an atheist. It was the problem of evil, the problem of pain and suffering that, that just kept him from belief in God. But one of the interesting things that he talks about when he talks about how he came to faith was uh, he made this statement. We can ignore even pleasure, you know, pleasure in our life. Okay, he's, he's, he's having this big conversation about about pain um, and how could it be that God allows such a thing? But, but he comes to this conclusion that even though we can ignore pleasure, pain insists on being attended to. Have you ever noticed that? Whenever you get a pain of any type, physical, emotional, whatever, whenever you have a pain, it, it immediately takes all of your attention. I don't know if you've ever had a hangnail before. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had like, um, you know, just you, you stubbed your toe on something before, right? Um, that, that's, a, that's a tremendous amount of pain in a very small place, right? It's located in a very small place. And what happens to your attention whenever that pain happens? All of your attention immediately goes to that small, little, isolated place um, because pain has a way of needing to be attended to. And here's what C.S. Lewis says. God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Isn't it interesting that, that we all know that pain gets our attention in a way that other things don't? And if we're talking about a God who's trying to get our attention, uh, couldn't it be that pain is one of the most effective ways that he does so? So when we talk about pain and how, uh, the, how, how it needs to be attended to, and possibly could it be that it's something that God could use to get our attention, just a couple of examples that come to mind, a couple of biblical examples that come to mind. Um, one man said, I heard of you, talking to God, 
I heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Now, that's only interesting in who said it, right? Job. How much pain did Job go through? How much, how much suffering did Job undergo? And I'll go ahead and call it evil because it wasn't just like his kids were stricken with disease. They were murdered. This man suffered tremendously by way of evil doing of others. And he looks to God for some answer. Um, one of the scholars I've been studying recently, a, a lady by the wonderful, brilliant scholar by the name of Eleanor Stump, <coughs> And she, she dove deep into the book of Job uh, to try to find, you know, Job has these terrible things happen to him. And all of a sudden, uh, his friends come around. And, and you know, <laughs> she, she, she may, I believe it's her that, that makes the argument that, um, man, if they had only just sat with him and cried. Remember how that first step that Job's friends came around, they sat with him and they wept with him. And if only they had just stopped at that. <laughs> it probably would have been a much better situation for all of them. But no, then they started to explain. Then they started to try to figure this thing out, to parse it all out. And then by the time they get all their terrible ideas on the table, God comes to Job and gives an answer to Job, but it's not the answer that I think any of them really wanted. God comes to Job and he says, look at my power, feel my presence. End of story. Son, you need to know who you're dealing with here. Feel my power, know my presence. Period. And it's at the very end of Job that he looks to God and says, I've heard you, but now I see you. And it's that presence that God reveals. It's that power that Job sees that all of a sudden, Job knows God on a level that he's never known before. And what happens to that pain and suffering? It just kind of fades into the background. Then, of course, there's Paul. Paul went through a tremendous amount of suffering in his life, no doubt, but, but I love the way he, he specifies here what happens in the midst of Paul's suffering. Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may, what? Know him. That there's a knowledge of God that has come to me and the power of his resurrection, knowing him and his resurrection, by what? That I may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death in other words what i believe paul's trying to teach us is there there's there's a knowledge of god that almost can only come by way of suffering like if you really want to know what jesus went through um again full transparency this summer as i'm sitting there none of the pain meds are really working at this point um i've got cancer in my my arm that's just trying to work its way out and the excruciating pain that that, that 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 is, I'm just sitting here waiting on waiting on treatment that'll do anything for it. And one of the thoughts that occurred to me was, this is the pain that I was willing to go through for you. Just a bit. Just a bit of it. I, I recognize just a bit of it. But the quality of pain that I was feeling, it, it, it was no match in quantity of pain, but the quality of pain that I was feeling was just unlike anything I had experienced before. And in that experience, God gave me a glimpse of what Jesus was willing to do for me. And I'll tell you, it does something to you. When you sit there and you dwell on that, that God was willing to do something like this. He was willing. I didn't subject myself to it. I didn't choose this. Jesus did. Jesus was willing to subject himself to go through something like that. And, and I'll tell you, I counted a tremendous blessing that God has allowed me, perhaps not to share in suffering for my faith or suffering, you know, the, the death of the martyr. That, that's not what I'm talking about. But, but just to give me a glimpse of how much my Savior loves me by giving me a glimpse of how much pain he was willing to undergo. This is what I'm trying to tap into tonight. Then when we talk about the problem of evil, it's not just some intellectual problem that the atheists can throw up to excuse themselves from, from believing in God. This is something that hits to the, the, the heart of every single one of us. That, that pain is real, that suffering is real, but could it be that God is trying to teach us something in it? I think that's just the case. So, to clarify some concepts... Hey, there's our friends there. Um, to clarify some concepts, I want to try to uh, split this up a little bit. And this is what, um, this is what us philosophers do. We, we like to, to split things up to try to understand them a little bit better. Um, because when we talk about the problem of evil, we could be talking about all sorts of things. 
Uh, we, we could be trying to uh, discuss some intellectual problem. Uh, we could be talking about, well, is it the quantity? Uh, and, and I won't try to bore you with too many of the, the nuts and bolts of this, this stuff. Uh, just what, what pertains to our conversation about knowing God in the midst of all of this suffering. Well, the problem of evil classically, it, it could be expressed this way. Um, this goes all throughout the literature. It's probably the most popular way that folks present the problem of evil. They talk about it in terms of God's willingness and God's ability. Right, keep, keep an eye out for that because that's going to be my theme here. They, they, try to, they try to challenge God's willingness and ability regarding evil. Okay, so the first premise is, if God is all good, then he would be more than willing to rid the world of evil. Seems pretty intuitive, right? Someone who's good is going to be willing to do something about evil. Now, you understand, a lot of times we see things that we were, we're willing to do something about. We're just not able to. But someone who can see evil and just does not care, they're not a good person, right? So if God is all good, which we think he is, we believe he is, um, he should be willing to do something uh, to, to rid the world of evil. Premise two, if God is all powerful, which we believe he is, then he would be more than able to rid the world of evil. He, if he is good, he'd be willing. If he's powerful, he would be able to. And yet there is evil in the world. So it looks like those of us who believe that God is all good and believe that God is all powerful, it looks like we got some answering to do, right? Because all this evil, that you say God's all good and all powerful, well, what's, what's the deal, folks? Well, what's going on here? We have some explaining to do. Um, David Hume, and, and, uh, back in the, uh, I want to say the 17th, 18th century, um, he puts forward this argument, and folks have basically just been recycling it ever since, emphasizing a little bit here and there, but, but this has basically been the argument, and, and the accusation ends up, well, then if, if God is, um, is God able but not willing, then he's not good. Um, but if he's, not, if he's willing but not able, then he's not powerful course you understand the conclusion of the matter right if he's if he's neither one of those things then he's also not god <laughs> and so for a lot of folks the just the presence of evil just kind of pulls apart our idea of god is he is he able it, like he like he wants he, he can he's powerful he just doesn't want to well that doesn't seem like the god that we know right is he is he willing to he just doesn't have the ability Again, just doesn't seem like the God we're worshiping. So we have some explaining to do, it seems. Well, the first thing that I want to say, the first thing I'm driven to say about this particular problem, and this is where we kind of have to transition over to apologetics class. Um, when we talk about the problem of evil, a lot of folks assume that the solution is going to be, well, then God must not exist. Um, but I've referenced this before. The deeper I get into this stuff, I find that anytime someone tries to remove God from the equation, they end up with a more difficult problem. You, you, you've created more problems that whatever you think you're trying to solve, you just made the problem infinitely worse by removing God from the equation. And I think the problem of evil is just that. If you're trying to solve the problem of evil by taking God out of the equation, you've just made that problem much, much worse. And I won't take too much of our time trying to explain this, but... Uh, many people have attempted to, quote-unquote, solve the problem of evil by concluding that God must not exist. However, if God does not exist, the very idea of evil loses its meaning. And again, there's a really big argument behind this, but I'll just defer back to Lewis. I, I, one of the reasons why C.S. Lewis is as prolific and, and, and important as he is, he just has a way of saying stuff in a couple of sentences that most of us take a couple of pages to say. You know, and here's what he says. His argument that this was the argument I was referring to in terms of being an atheist. My argument against God was do I have this up here. I'm sorry um, that my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? You see, he, he realized for himself, he started to recognize that when you pull God from the equation, to call something evil or good, you lose all reference of, of good and evil, removing God from the situation. And so this idea of, of good and evil loses its meaning. Well, if what you were pointing to to show that God doesn't exist 
also disappears if God doesn't exist, then you no longer have a problem to charge against God's existence. It's what we call a good old-fashioned self-defeating argument. (laughs) The thing that you're trying to prove ends up exploding right before your eyes. And so, okay, evil is a problem. Suffering, pain is a problem. But the solution can't be removing God from the equation because I believe, as I said in your notes, in other words, if God doesn't exist, if God doesn't exist, then evil wouldn't be a problem because there wouldn't be evil. <laughs> okay, so, so let's just go ahead and say outright that, that the solution can't be to deny God's existence. That, that ends up causing a bigger problem than we started with. So really the question then becomes, and I think this is one of those hidden premises in the argument, is that, okay, God is all-powerful and all-good and evil exists. So the real question is, what could possibly be the reason for God to have allowed evil? See, that's a more interesting question. That, that's a question we can all do something with. If God exists and evil exists, then, then it's more of a question of why. Why, why would God allow such a thing? All right, so, so now that we're working with something, we can go, I think, a step further into the problem of pain. The problem of pain ends up becoming, it becomes a little more uh, personalized. It becomes a little more located in our own experiences, right? For many people, the problem of evil reduces to a problem of pain. So we could talk about morality and right and wrong and good and evil. That's all out there stuff. That's all abstract theoretical stuff. But, but Lewis and others, they say, no, we really need to talk about the problem of pain. Because while evil and morality, evil, right and wrong, all that stuff is out there, pain is something that we experience. The reason it's even a problem that's felt is because we feel that pain. Okay, so when we talk about the hurt that evil causes, that's where the real problem is. However, when you think about pain, um, the interesting thing about it is we can all think of examples in which pain produces something good enough to make us willing to go through it. And I don't know if you ever, I know, I know Pastor Travis has talked about races that he's, uh, he's trained for. Um, no doubt that was, that was probably quite a bit of pain that you subject yourself to because you're crazy. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I, I, could, I just couldn't imagine. I just, God did not make me a runner, and I'm perfectly content with that. Um, I can't, I, th- this afternoon I've been over to tie my shoes and lost breath. So I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to you know, get out there and run a half marathon, quarter marathon. I don't know if they do tenth of a marathon. I'm not interested in that. I'm, d- I'm just not willing to subject myself through that amount of pain. However, I did play basketball. And I love basketball. And I love playing it. And I am willing to subject myself to a tremendous amount of, hu- not just pain, humiliation, um, I, I'm, I'm willing to go through it because I love the game. Of course, we're all familiar with, with instances where the, the good that pain brings about, we are more than willing to undergo it for that greater good. Um, again, I, I don't mean to keep talking about my own experiences, but it was funny going through chemotherapy. And, I, and I've had some wonderful conversations with folks that um, have been through it. And, and going through chemotherapy, it's like, okay, well, my arm's feeling good. Everything else is terrible, but what hurt is it, that's gone away. It's really, really effective on, the, on that front. Um, and then, of course, you just got to let the time go through and, and pass through that. But it was one of those things that I was willing to go through knowing on, I added on good word that this was going to be effective. This was going to work. And so we all know situations where pain isn't necessarily a problem so long as there is a great good at the end of it that justifies the pain that we're feeling, that, 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 that pays for it, that makes it worth it, all right? So remember our question, could, could there possibly be a reason for God to allow pain and suffering to exist that, that justifies it? Is there any type of morally sufficient reason for these things? Well, um, furthermore, in, in terms of the problem of pain, Um, God created us. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. God created us for a genuine, loving relationship. Uh, From page one in Scripture, we as His image bearers, He created us for a genuine, loving relationship. But love entails freedom to choose otherwise. Now, this is something that I have, I have tried to drill deep on to try to figure out what exactly is going on there. That God created us for a genuine, loving relationship. And the deeper I get into it, the more I'm convinced that I, I think God could have created us 
to where we would not have chosen evil, but we would have never known God on the level that we're able to know God now. We would have never had access to that loving relationship. Because here's what I know about every loving relationship in my life, that I have to, it, it is infinitely better when that person chooses to love back. I teach high schoolers, you know, y'all know that. And it, it's interesting how some of them start pairing off. Y'all ever seen these teenagers start pairing off in these quote unquote dating relationships and they're, they're seeing each other and this, that, and the other. And then I know I'm, I'm super cynical when it comes to that kind of stuff, but you know, you see it every day. It starts to happen, right? Um, but, but you see these, you see these kids you know, uh, pairing off and dating one another and it's like, okay, that, that's fun. Sure. Whatever. Um, I, I try to warn them because some of the stupidest mistakes I've ever seen in my life have been made over these. Anyways, um, I won't go into dating advice right now, but, um, it's interesting. And, and I'll tell these kids cause they get this. They, they understand what I'm getting at here because every single teenage boy would prefer rather than him just having to ask and ask and ask and ask and just just be persistent and be persistent and just keep after this girl and just just keep on asking and keep after it every single one of those guys would prefer for her just to like him back and oh by the way ladies would you which relationship would you like the one where you just have he finally just wears you down and you're like you know what fine or one where you just freely choose to love back of course, all of us understand what it's like to have a genuine loving relationship and the freedom that that requires. And so when God created us for a genuine loving relationship, there had to have been some genuine freedom to choose otherwise, or else it wouldn't have been the relationship for, God, for which God made us. At least that's the, that's the thinking that I'm going with here. So, so where does pain come in? Well, I believe God in his grace in many, many ways, in a profound way, gave us uh, the results allows us to see what it's like to live life without him. I would contend that pain is a result of our attempt to live outside of the relationship with God for which he made us. Um, I studied a philosopher this, this past summer, uh, this past semester, excuse me, um, that talked a lot about the, the magnitude, how much evil there is and uh, how much pain and suffering there, there is in the world. And um, it was just really interesting how straightforward um, it is that, that, that God allows us to live in a world where we see what it's like without him. Because that teaches us something that we're unable to learn otherwise. And he used the, he, he actually referenced, I never put this together, but, but he referenced the prodigal son. Y'all remember this parable Jesus told about the prodigal son? about how he turned from his father. He took all that belonged to him. He took everything that was of his right. He, he left his father's house and he went and lived it up, right? What would have happened if the father had intervened in the prodigal son's life and manipulated his life in such a way to where the son never felt the consequences of those decisions? Like what if the father kept, kept, kept depositing funds in the bank account as it were? What if the father were to prop him up with, with more fake friends? What if the father would have paid his rent? What if the father would have just propped up his life because he's just such a loving father and he doesn't want to see his son hurt? What would have happened to that son? He would have gone his entire life living a lie that being apart from his father is a good thing for him. No, you know what happened? Through pain and suffering, that young man learned the most important lesson in his life, that life away from the father is the worst could it be that the pain and the suffering that we experience in this life is trying to, God's trying to teach us a lesson? Hey, this is what happens when you reject me. This is what happens with life without, in life without me. So perhaps I, I think we're getting closer to a good that, that, that's a moral justification for why God would allow all of this, to, to teach us an honest lesson. In other words, I, I think in a profound way, our pain can lead us back to reconciliation with God. That beautiful moment, that wonderful moment where the prodigal son comes back to the father, having spent it all and having experienced that suffering that he never experienced otherwise. He would have never had experienced that in his father's house. And I don't know, I, I, Jesus doesn't necessarily tell us happily ever after type stuff, but I got to imagine that that relationship between the son and the father was more than it ever could have been had the son not gone through that. All right, so, so, from the problem of evil to the problem of pain, okay, 
Great, there's a lesson to be learned in pain, sure, but that doesn't make it any easier to deal with. So let's take another step deeper, I think, into the problem of suffering. Um, for my money, the, some, of, some of the work that I did, I, I just finished a paper last week about this, that I believe, I'm, I'm of the opinion, and I, I don't know that I'm firm enough to call it anything more than an opinion, but for, for many people, myself included, the problem of evil reduces to a problem of suffering, and that is the experience that evil causes. I think the problem of evil reduces to a problem of suffering. And my, my argument's really, really simple for this. I like rather than I, I'm just not interested anymore in this like problem of evil. I, if God cho- if God created us for a loving relationship where we have freedom, it makes sense that we would have had the freedom to choose otherwise. And you know what? Let's not put it all on Adam and Eve, because if they hadn't done it, their kids certainly would have. And if God had swooped in and, and fixed it at that point, then one of their descendants at some point, right? It's just, it's one of those things that that, that, that that abstract sense of evil is not what I'm interested in. This suffering, that seems to be the problem. That seems to be the root of the problem. So, so for example, some philosophers like to try to divide this. They try to parse things in into two kinds of evil that we're doing, two, two kinds of evil for the problems, problem of evil. The first one being moral evil, that's the result of human choice. Like when people specifically choose to do evil, right? Or, or I should say maybe even passively, because of their choices, evil comes about, okay? Versus natural evil, um, namely the, the quote-unquote evil that comes about by way of natural, we, we usually call them natural disasters the, in the literature. It's always, it's always tornadoes and earthquakes, you know, it's always some, something, something terrible like that that happens where there's just this natural evil and lots of folks die because of it. Jesus actually talked a lot about this. He talked about moral evil. Um, and then he talks, about, uh, he talks about a temple that collapsed. You know, just poor construction. Nobody's fault. Just a bunch of people died. And Jesus was more than willing to, to wrestle with that and have his followers wrestle with that. That Yes, a lot of times evil happens and it doesn't seem to be anybody's particular choice. So in that respect, I see the important difference between moral evil and natural evil. But here's, uh, again, what, what I'm interested in, the only reason we really think of that natural evil as natural evil um, is because of the personal suffering. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting behind on my PowerPoint here. Is because of the personal suffering that's involved. So, so you have that moral evil, that that's... I don't want to say easy, but that one makes sense. Like, like we, make our, we, we, we make our own bed, we have to lie in it, right? The natural evil, that seems tough. But here's the thing about that natural evil. The only reason we call an earthquake where lots of people die, the only reason we call that evil is because the people are dying. You understand, just in our solar system, planets have storms and earthquakes that just would shatter any earth record, Right? Um, there's a storm on Jupiter that's, uh, I want to say something about uh, nearly half the size of the Earth. Um, there's, there are earthquakes that, while the biggest one, uh, the biggest earthquake we've had, um, whatever, I don't think it's the Richter scale, whatever scale we're on is about a 9 or so. I don't think we've ever gotten to a 10. Um, but we have, we have gotten some evidence that there are earthquakes on other planets that go up into the 30s, the, the low to mid 30s. That, that would just ruin us. Well, we don't point at those planets and say, look at all the natural evil. Why? Because nobody's suffering in that. So in other words, I guess what I'm driving at is the thing that makes evil evil is not necessarily where it comes from. It's that we're suffering in it. Now, now what that payoff is for me is that, okay, so that shows me that God has made a world where he can rescue us from that suffering. God has made a world where that suffering was not intended. It, it, could, it could happen, but it was not intended. And so could there be some sort of reconciliation? Could there be some sort of redemption? Could there be some sort of fix to all of this? Okay, so the problem of evil, I believe, ultimately is a problem of personal suffering. Literally, the problem of evil is a personal problem. You don't have it unless there are persons involved. Otherwise, it's just not evil. Um, so, so if this is a personal problem, and here's what I've done, I've done my research on, um, if, if it is a personal problem, then what should you expect the solution to be? You should also expect, if the problem is personal in nature, you should expect the solution to be personal in nature. So in other words, whatever suggestion or a solution, whatever, whatever answer God has to our suffering, we should expect it to be very personal in nature. Now, I hope I'm laying it on thick enough for y'all to get where I'm going here. 
that God gives himself as a solution to our suffering. So that leads us to our whole conclusion here that knowing God by seeing God in suffering could be that good, that, that, that thing, that reason why God will allow all this to begin with. If we have a God big enough, now this is something that, that um, comes up in the conversation. If we have a God big enough to do something about evil, I think it's important for us to admit we have a God big enough to have reasons for allowing evil that we cannot understand. And I know that's a mouthful, but let me unpack that. See, I'm pushing here for, okay, God and evil are, are, it is possible for both of those two things to exist. They are not irreconcilable. It can be that God exists and that evil exists. In fact, I would argue if God doesn't exist, we won't know what evil is to begin with, right? So God and evil can exist. The question is, why would God allow evil? What possible good reason would God have to allow evil? Well, before I get into what the philosophers refer to as a theodicy, what it, before I get into an explanation of what I think is that answer, what, what, I, what I think would be the reason why God would allow, just a suggestion. Before we get there, though, I want to go ahead and just admit that I am in no way, shape, or form assuming that I have the ability to understand what God's got in mind. See, here's what I know. If, you have, if you've got a God big enough to do anything about evil you immediately have a God big enough to have reasons to allow it, to not, to not alleviate it, that you probably won't understand. Um, there's all sorts of analogies that the philosophers use on, on this topic where it's, you know, parents. Um, it's usually a good parent analogy where it's like, no doubt, I, any of you that have had kids before, when they were really, really little, um, my son had, had RSV, had a lot of uh, respiratory issues. And man, putting him on that respirator and having to, put that buterol in his, in his nose and, and trying to get him to feed that. That poor little guy, I mean, he's just having to sit there and take it with that mask pressed up against his face. He could barely breathe as it is. Now I'm covering his whole face with something. Poor guy. And, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, I, I didn't want it to happen, but I knew that his health was important such that whatever little bit of suffering he's going through, it's worth it, right? You see how that happens. Now, how mad would you be at me if I failed to explain to my son in that moment why I was allowing that to happen. In fact, why I was the one who was strapping it on. How could I? How could I possibly have explained to him? He was less than one year old when that happened. How? How could I have explained that to him? No, the best thing I could have done is wrap my arms around him, let him feel my power, and let him feel my presence. Because for him, that would have been the only comfort. Y'all see where I'm going with this, right? We go to God and we say, God, why? Why? I don't know. If we've got a God as big as we, we say we've got, then he probably has reasons that the only, the only way he can alleviate any of that is to show us his power and his presence. So I think we can proceed. I think we can go ahead. But let's do so with humility that, okay, whatever reason that we, we think God may have, Let's just go ahead and admit that, but he probably has reasons that we can't understand, that are far beyond our ability to understand. Oh, and by the way, by the way, I got to say this as a side note. If ever you're dealing with folks and walking through suffering with them, you understand that's not just some trite, God's ways are higher than our ways. Can I just go ahead and tell you with all the love that I can muster to someone who's walking through suffering in that moment, that's probably one of the last things they need to hear. God's ways are higher than, really, that's what you got for me? You didn't think I knew that already? I mean, I'm just trying to help us understand, folks that go through suffering, they need more than just something we, we like to crochet on a pillow. They need something more than just the cliche. They need God's power. They need God's presence. And like I said, those friends of Job would have been doing a lot better if they had just stopped with the sitting and the staying and the crying, because after all, what, what, what did Jesus? I mean, I feel like we, we'd just be doing so much better if we just listened to Jesus when he said, mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep. Because sometimes that's all you got. But sometimes that's all you need. So, by God's grace, every once in a while, I think we do get a glimpse of the reasons why God would allow those sufferings. Um, 
again, this is this is something that drives to the, the very core of what I've experienced over the past several months. So I won't belabor the point, but here's here's what I'm trying to argue. It may be that the reason God allows us to su- allow suffering into the life into our lives is that it brings us into a deeper interactional relationship with him. Now, y'all remember our definitions from week one, right? From a couple weeks ago, that interactional relationship, that, that we interact with God and therefore come to know him in a deeper way. In other words, to know him more. And certainly, I think we can back that up with a lot of scripture. Um, for, for instance, in, in scripture, we see that Christ is able to relate to us in a deeper way because of his suffering, because of the suffering he was able to subject himself to. Now, please don't get me wrong. I don't want to violate that. Like I, I, I am in no way violating what you've learned in systematic theology. Christ's suffering had, a, had an atoning effect to redeem us from our sins. I'm not taking away from that theological reality that Jesus died for our sins and suffered what he suffered. Suffering, I think, I think the most intense part of Jesus' suffering was just that, that disconnect with the Father that we, we call it the dereliction of the cross. Um, that, that, that abandonment he felt from the Father had to have been the most intense pain because that's, for the, that's the first time in eternity that there was anything but harmony between the persons of the Trinity. And who caused that discord? Who caused that, that family argument, as it were? Me. Jesus, Jesus took my sin, and it was because of my sin that the Father turned his face from the Son. There's some deep, important soteriological truths there that I do not want to take away from. However, the suffering that Jesus took on as a human, he would not have been able to feel on the throne, on the right hand of the, uh, uh, the, right hand of the throne of the Father. So when he took on flesh, he took on the ability to feel pain. When he took on flesh, he took on the ability to suffer. And in that way, how does the author of Hebrews say? We have a high priest who, who is not untouched by our infirmities. We, we have a high priest who knows what it's like to be us, who knows what it's like to suffer. So in suffering, Jesus knows more about us. But then also, through suffering, we're able to relate to Christ in a deeper way. That relational interaction that we have with Christ. Paul says that this is a theme a lot in Paul, right? Whenever Paul talks about the suffering that he went through, he immediately connects it to, yeah, but this is going to help me know Jesus more. I mean, I get it. it. It's suffering. It's not fun. I don't like it. I'd rather just, God, go ahead and take me home to heaven right now. However, every ounce of suffering I get gives me a little bit, a little bit more of a glimpse of what Jesus was willing to go through for me. And as I testified earlier, and many of you could as well, when we put it in, that, in those terms, when we put it in the idea that, that this suffering, this pain that I'm feeling right now, imagine, imagine that God was able to come, what was willing to come off his throne and to feel this, to feel something like it and probably worse for me. That allows us to know God more. So if we can know God through our suffering, which I think scripture supports that, and I think, I think good reasoning supports that, I think we get how um, God, we're able to know God more through our suffering. Um, I'll tell you, going through, uh, this is the last time I'll mention the whole cancer thing, I promise. Um, but I'll tell you, going through it, my doctors helped me a lot. They did. I mean, technically they healed me. I want to give them due credit. I had a wonderful medical team. The doctors are amazing. The, the nurses were amazing. And, and when you're going through that kind of stuff, the medical team you're working with makes all the difference in the world. I'm sure many of y'all could have testified to that. They helped me a lot. But you know where I got the, the most, I'll call it comfort. You know where I got the most help? You know where, where I was touched in my suffering and I felt like I wasn't alone in my suffering? Were the folks that had been through it or worse? Because when I'm talking to folks that have been through it or worse, and they say, hey, friend, I know that. I know that feeling. They can't prescribe me medicine. <laughs> they can't give me treatments. But the healing, that, that the inner healing that's brought, having that connection and having that interpersonal knowledge with someone, boy, it does a world of good. So how much more is it when Jesus comes to us and says, hey, son, daughter, you're hurting. I know that. So, when we talk about the suffering, forgive me, when we talk about the suffering that we go through and, and God's 
willingness and ability. So let's let's end where we where we started, right? Um, the whole problem of evil is a challenge against God's willingness and His ability. If, is He willing but not able? Then then He's not good. I'm, I'm sorry. Is He willing but not able? He's not powerful. Is He able but not willing? Uh, then, then then He's not good. And He's either way He's not God. Um, I'll tell you this. Those, those of you that were in my apologetics class this past spring. I was teaching through this, and, and I don't know, some of the best stuff comes to you as you're talking about it, where it's like, man, I wish I would have thought of that two hours ago. But as you're talking through it, you know, some, something all of a sudden hit me, and I connected the, the classic problem of evil, a charge against God's willingness, uh, willingness and ability, directly to Jesus Christ. And, and it's not like I hadn't seen it before. For instance, I've read stuff like Pastor Timothy Keller. He, he says here, um, God put himself on the hook for human suffering. Therefore, through, though, though Christianity does not provide a reason for each experience of pain, it provides deep resources for actually facing suffering with hope and courage rather than bitterness and despair. Now you see what he says there, that God put himself on the hook for human suffering. In other words, God was willing, is willing. He was able. He is able. Okay, then where? Where do you see God's willingness and his ability? In Jesus Christ, we see that God is both willing and able to do something about our suffering. How? The incarnation and the crucifixion shows us that God is more than willing to do something about our suffering. That God was willing to become one of us, suffer like us, and die for us? Oh, he's more than willing. He is willing to put himself on the hook for human suffering. He's willing to put himself on the cross for human suffering. He's willing to become one of us. Willing? Absolutely. Where? Jesus. <laughs> as, if, as if Jesus wasn't going to be the answer anyways. You know. Again, should have seen this coming. But in Jesus, we see that God is willing. In Jesus, we see that God is able. In his resurrection and in our transformation, we see that God is able. I mean, when Jesus walked out of that tomb... And said, death, where's where your power? Great, where's your sting? It, it's no more. I, I fixed that. When Jesus walks out of the grave and does something that no human being has ever been able to do, when he raises himself from the dead and then he turns to us and says, as I live, you too shall live. Because I am the resurrection. I don't just resurrect. I am the resurrection. Folks, that's power. That's ability to do something about our suffering. And so in that resurrection, God promises that ability. And oh, by the way, that's not just some distant, far off thing, because we all have experienced, those of us that are believers, we know what it's like to be transformed by the power of God. By God's grace, I'm not, I am not what I ought to be in so many ways, but by God's grace, I'm not what I used to be. Amen. And so in that, so in that, I see power that I just don't see anywhere else. You know, forget these philosophical arguments, man. At some point in time, that's not a soothing thing when you're sitting on the sofa in pain, right? But, but God's spirit, God's grace, God's love, from the cross, the grave, to the sky, that, that's the kind of stuff that gets you through the suffering to know God more. So, if we see in Jesus that God is both willing and able, it seems like we have a solution to that classic problem of evil. Is God willing and able? Yes, look at Jesus. But you know, that's not the end of the discussion. Because we can have that solution, but remember that freedom that God left us with? The question isn't so much, is God willing and able? He is. He is willing and able to do everything that we need him to do regarding our suffering. The question ultimately becomes whether or not we trust him to do so. The question is whether we trust him to walk with us in our suffering. That's the question. Oh, God's willing. God's able. But do you trust him to do so? To walk with you in that suffering? And I'll end where I begin. Because we have every reason to know that he can do so. When we talk about knowing God, it's of utmost importance. 
One of the things I'm really interested in, the more I look into Jesus, one, one of my professors uh, hits us up to this. this is one of his, his taglines, one of the things he's really pushing towards, is that when you look at Jesus, it's interesting because he doesn't seem all that interested in getting people to believe things. He doesn't seem all that interested in getting people to, to, to confess or to profess him. It seems like Jesus is particularly interested that people get to know things that are available to know. You can know God. Get, get a load of that. Regardless of what you believe, you can believe false stuff. You can profess false things. But to know something, to know true things, you can know God. One time Jesus explained what eternal life is, what salvation is. And you know what eternal life is? It's knowledge of God. So you can know God. But what's, what's even amazing is, even more amazing, and, and what I've tried to encapsulate over the past couple of weeks is that even the things that, that we're tempted to allow to drive us from God, it's through those things that we can actually come to know God more. So I just invite you, in your doubt, in your suffering, don't allow those things to turn you away from God. Use those as opportunities to know God more. Let's pray and then I'll be done. Thank you so much for listening. Father, I, I, I've been talking about you and now I talk to you. And I, I'm just so thankful that these folks have been willing to sit and, and, and listen to me, try to work through things that you've taught me, knowledge that you brought me to. So I pray more than anything that you would allow them to see that knowledge as well. No doubt many of them already have. And no doubt many of them have already seen you in the way that I've seen you. But Father, if anything, I pray that you would help us to light that fire in our soul that other people may know you. Because there are folks suffering. And we know that you can walk with us in our suffering. So I pray that you would help us to take the love that you've shown us to love other people and to show them your love for them. Father, I'm just so thankful to be able to know you. And I pray that you'd be glorified in everything that's been said. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.